This is Channel Q. Channel Q, this is Allie Johnson hanging out with you today. Going to do something a little different. I know usually you'd be hearing me and my monster face friend, Kevin Klein, uh, but in light of all of the recent developments in this Jesse Smollett case, I am joined today instead by a uh, very knowledgeable man named Jarrett Hill. Welcome to the show, Jarrett. Hey, how's it going? Um, Jarrett, you have been following this story uh, for since the beginning, and you are a, a journalist, and you, uh, you, I didn't know this, you actually broke the Melania Trump-Michelle Obama plagiarism story? Yeah, you know, it treated me kind of well. It was a really good tweet. Yeah, so yes. you, so this is something that you've been following, this whole Jesse Smollett case, and uh, you you actually know J- Jesse as well, don't you? Yes. I always say, like, we, we know each other, we're, we know each other socially, we're not, like, best friends or anything, we're not texting on on, on Tuesdays, but uh, but yes, I've I've met him multiple times. We've worked together. I've uh, you know wrote about him uh, in Essence magazine. Interviewed him for his album last year, and recently was presenting an award at a show he was hosting. Um, and you know had some backstage interaction with him. So yeah. So so what the we can just start from what has developed in the last twenty four hours. Jesse Smollett. Uh, they announced that he surrendered to the Chicago police. And at this moment, he is appearing in court. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yes, he actually. Uh, I'm kind of keeping my eye on on the court yeah. proceedings as well. But like the court proceeding, he just uh, finished his court appearance. Um, at his bail hearing, they set his bail at his bond at a hundred thousand um, dollars, which we anticipate he will be able to to post. Um, they're saying he was he's actually supposed to be filming Empire today a little bit later on uh, within the next forty five minutes, I guess. Which they've pu- they've pushed back. I to guess the he'll be late schedule. for that call time. I, it seems like it, but. <laughs> maybe not we'll see um, but yeah this is con- continually unfolding right now I'm, I'm listening to the news in one ear and yeah. and, and to our conversation well, that, in the that's, other that's so, your yeah. comfort zone there you go yeah, so, yeah. so uh, it says here that the felony charge they are giving Jesse Smollett is disorderly conduct which is surprising I guess to me that that's what they would go with um, they did make a statement earlier in a press conference where they called this alleged hoax uh, despicable mm-hmm. and that he has dragged Chicago's reputation through the mud. I listened to this this morning and it was tough seeing this officer so emotional over this because this has been something that has uh, it has sparked a lot of feelings on both sides of this of this uh, of these I guess uh, incidences or or you know when when new facts come out everyone is up in arms and 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 you know throwing names at each other and things like that and to see especially a police chief or a police officer get so emotional over something like this is really really tough to watch. Sure, yeah. Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson came out and gave a pretty impassioned uh, speech this morning, you know, uh, we'll call it a speech, uh, where he kind of laid out what they believed had been done and, and what he, what was, uh, you know, essentially what they were charging him with. Um, we'll see how those charges evolve, if they evolve, um, how Jesse pleads, if he pleads guilty or not guilty. Um, all, all those things will kind of have an impact on how, you know, this narrative continues, I guess. Um, it's It's been an incredibly difficult story to follow to to be uh, connected to in, in a way um, even just from being a black person a gay person a black gay person I always distinguish those as three different things um, but it's it's been a challenge um, to to kind of watch it evolve and to have to be able to talk about it but also to talk with friends and family who are within community um about how it felt because the day that this broke the story broke was really really difficult um after talking with friends about it a couple of times like i stopped taking people's calls uh and stopped trying to engage social media because it was really really powerful the the feelings of, of the fear the the frustration the hurt the pain of like this the idea of something like this happening to one of our brothers right yeah and so. and it's also just the thought that the uh the reminder that these things happen on a regular basis still absolutely and uh, you know i can speak at least for my being a part of the LGBT community, just feeling so like, oh, still, we're still at this place where this is happening. And I think that, I tw- texted someone exactly that. Right. Yeah, like you just want to think that this stuff doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, but it, but it does, and that will never go. Uh, that that 
exact idea is still present regardless of whether or not this was a, a hoax or a faked attack. Mm-hmm. That's This is still a real thing that happens in our country. It still happens to people. There are real victims out there, and that conversation still needs to be happening. Absolutely. It's just unfortunate that now these new developments have, have come out, and the fact that his motivation what they are saying behind this is for it that is that the reason that he did this was for money to to increase his salary which he was already getting i looked this up $65,000 per episode on empire so he was not satisfied enough with that this is all you know according to some of the reports and then decided okay the way i'm going to react is now to pay $3500 to to these two men to fake an attack so that what people are going to feel bad for me and then increase my salary i just don't understand how that translates well so i I tweeted earlier like none of this makes sense so like the the things that he's said are hard to add up the things that the police have said don't add up and so it's hard to know what to believe what to think what to make of everything it's been it's it's hard on every side, and I, I I continually say like there's no good outcome for this story, right? So either there there's one of two things happened, right? So either he was attacked, and it was horrendous, and they said these awful things to him, and he eventually reported it, and all of this came out, all of this happened, and then people didn't believe him, and that's awful, or he coordinated this entire thing. He used, you know, language that would be triggering, uh, you know, a noose, which would obviously be triggering um, anti-gay language, which would be triggering all with the intention of creating a moment. Right. And that's not a good way for the story to go. either. No. And then also to follow up with several interviews, emotional interviews on how this has been affecting him physically and psychologically and how it translates in, in 2019 today and to all to be so outspoken about those things affecting him personally based on this attack just feels like the you know it feels like a betrayal a huge betrayal sure. if these things are true yeah it, it, that is part of it and i mean i, I want to say like i i am still holding out hope that there's something that we don't know or there's something that will come out um and i'm still holding out like the faith that there's going to be that law and order twist we talked about in the last hour uh, that there's a a law and order twist that will come around and, and make what he's saying add up. Um, well, there have been a lot of twists and turns so far. So absolutely. what's to say there aren't going exactly, to be more? Right. I mean, I'm looking at this timeline of how everything started, and there has been a new crazy update, I mean, every couple of days. Absolutely. And I'm just curious, as for you, when you first started covering the story, when was the first moment for you that you said to yourself, wait a minute, this is something's off about this? Um. There have been various moments where something was kind of odd, but I think these stories always have like a lot of odd elements. Um, I f- the the first part of this story that we heard about was the the death threat letter that he got, right? The that MAGA was, letter, right? Exactly, um, which was kind of weird enough in and of itself. It was a letter that looked like it said MAGA on the cover. It was addressed to him. Was sent to the. Uh, to the Fox studios there in Chicago. Um, and that was odd. And I, I do remember thinking like, how do we know about that? Right. And I, where do we get that picture? Um, and so, but I thought like, eh, well, whatever we're worried about. But that was just right a now. little thing in the back of your mind going. Hmm, yeah. Well, that's... I was wondering like who put that out. Like, right. That was an odd thing for us to have. Um, but I wanted to support Jesse. Like, it w- and it, I never like saw that as a thing where I was like, Oh, this has had to be a lie. I just thought like, Oh, that's weird. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of, I guess, where it began for some people. And I think a lot of people questioned how it happened at that time on that night when it was so cold outside or all those things. I think there were a lot of elements where they were, that people kind of and like the cameras questioned. saying exactly. exactly where it happened and that that area had so many cameras in it. Yeah. That was the first thing for me that I was like, wait, but he said it happened in this one area that is. They said saturated with cameras and they couldn't find any footage of it. That was the first time that I, for myself, was going, why why is there no footage then? 
that's confusing to me. What? But I, but I was like, they'll, they'll, they're just gonna look into it. Yeah, so we're just gonna wait and see what happens. Yeah, I, the cameras piece of it was interesting. They're the reporting, as I said, I'm listening to the news in one ear and listening what, to our conversation in the other. I know we know well, that his bail has been set for a hundred thousand dollars. He must surrender his passport. What else right. do we know? Well, they, they, you were talking about the cameras, and that was something that uh, came up in the conversation today, according to. The reporting in, uh, from the inside the the courtroom, there was uh, uh, he allegedly like pointed out the cameras. That's what they're saying again, allegedly. Um, he pointed out the cameras to and took them to the spot where they would be seen. I guess. Um, so that's kind of an interesting. But he pointed element. out the cameras. That's an odd thing considering like how hard it was to find on camera. Um, but that's what was said in court, um, according to the reporters who were there in the room. Um, so that's just an, an interesting, interesting. Okay. Well, we'll, I'm sure we'll be getting a lot of other updates throughout the show today. If you're just joining us, we are talking about Jesse Smollett, uh, for the next uh, couple hours in, in lieu of all the things that have, that we've been fine, that we've found out in the last 24 hours. Uh, so I'm, I am here with Jarrett Hill. I'm Allie Johnson, and we're going to take a little break. We'll be back with more after this. We are Channel Q. Channel Q, hanging out with you today. I am Allie Johnson. Uh, Kevin has been replaced with a a, a knowledgeable journalist (laughs) by the name of Jared Hill. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, of course. It's a... it's a tough day. It's there's a lot to unpack here. We just found out some other updates over the break. Uh, Cook County State Attorney Office Prosecutor Lisa Lanier has been speaking to the public after Jesse Smollett's court appearance. We do know that his bail has been set at $100,000, and she just unloaded a lot of information and a lot of evidence from what I could understand on the texts that were exchanged, the money that was exchanged, the the planning that was involved in making sure that he was that everyone was there at exactly two a.m. that it, this thing was completely orchestrated. I mean, she just unleashed a lot of stuff here. Holy moly! I think would be the technical term. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. She just stepped down. Actually, the 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 prosecutor. She literally just walked away from from the cameras right now. Um, wow. I. For everyone that is hearing the story that is, you know, rooting for Jesse or, you know, still kind of on the fence, uh, listening to Risa Lanier just now, she gave an incredibly detailed account of, of all of the evidence that they have um, and what they believe happened. Um, Jesse's family is actually just outside the, the courthouse right now, oh, or they're okay. in the courthouse. Um, they are uh, kind of exiting the courtroom and we see them all kind of grouped together. And they are still 100% behind him. I. Well, as they haven't made we any know, statements. Right? We would assume as but much. But the last yeah. we heard from them, they blamed the media for this. Yeah, and they were a hundred percent behind him and believe him. I think also some of his co-stars on Empire have been saying the same thing. So it's going to be interesting to see what how that evolves or changes. how that evolves. Yes, based on what was just said by the prosecutor, uh, she detailed that they had phone records and text records that they had a handwritten personal check a handwritten personal check that yeah. had been deposited that day uh, also alleging that he gave them each that he gave them $100 to buy supplies for this attack he mm-hmm. even told them what language to use to say you know use maga use they talked they talked about him uh, and the the uh, you know uh, the staged attackers, I guess we'll call them, um, going to a specific corner and pointing to where the cameras would be and that during the attack, part of why, part of one of the questions that people had about this was how did this happen and it wasn't caught on tape, but the cameras, I guess, kind of move and the attack, according to the the prosecutor that came out and spoke, uh, Risa Lanier, she said that this attack lasted for about 45 seconds and in that time, the cameras were turned away Um, and I guess, I'm I'm guessing they didn't say that the cameras were moving, but it seems like that's probably what happened. um, so this is speculation, but yeah, this seems like the camera had moved away and hadn't come back yet. Um, 45 seconds is obviously a long time if you're being attacked, but also very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that is kind of what she laid out. She laid out incredibly detailed notes um, from the court proceedings that basically said, you know, everything from how this began, you know, the outreach of like, would you be interested in helping me do this all the way down to the Robin Roberts interview? She's, she's kind of laid it all out. Yeah. And, and if you, uh, have not heard some of the developments that were unleashed this morning during the press conference. We do have a clip of that as well. Uh, this is some audio from the press conference that took place earlier today from the Chicago Police Department. 
that on Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, Defendant Smollett received a written letter at the Sin Space Chicago Film Studios, which is the facility on the southwest side of Chicago where the Empire Television Show is filmed. This letter contained written threats directed towards Defendant Smollett and contained a then unknown white powdery substance. The letter also contained cutout letters pieced together which stated, Smollett Jesse, you will die, black F, and the word MAGA was handwritten on the envelope where the return address typically is located. This powdery substance has since been determined to be crushed ibuprofen tablets. The letter also contained a drawing of a stick figure, which appears to have a rope around the neck and a gun pointed towards it. Law enforcement authorities were contacted, and the letter was turned over to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which is currently conducting forensic analysis of the letter. I have to tell you, uh, I, I said earlier, like I approached this story at a few different piece, parts of the intersection. So as a gay man, as a black gay man, and as a as a black person in general, and like part of what makes this so difficult is like we there's always been like a distrust of police especially from the black community especially in Chicago especially in Chicago um, there's always been a distrust of like the legal system the judicial system right um, because there's always like a white face that we see in those instances usually that is telling us that we've done something wrong part of what part of what is uh, an element of this as a black person is seeing this black uh, Chicago police superintendent, this black woman who I'm guessing is a prosecutor. We just know that she's from the Cook County Police, um, the Cook County um, District Attorney's Office, State mm -hmm. Attorney's Office. Mm -hmm. um, it, seeing that adds a layer to it for me that I can't really articulate. But to it, see them so upset over this, to see them exactly, um, it, 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 and to have that that officer too acknowledging the problems that this that the Chicago Police Department has faced and saying it's not perfect. And I know there are many. Yes. Yeah, and there are many, and it's unfortunate that something like this has to happen. And and I, I think he made another great point, which we don't have in the audio clip, but that n from now on there is going to be, or he worries that there is going to be a level of skepticism on other attacks mm -hmm. as a result of this something like this happening, which is terrible. You know, I keep hearing that, and I I do think there's an element of this that for victims of really any kind of hate crime or any kind of assault or, or what have you, victims always have a an element of uh, concern with reporting their stories. Um, but I I don't know if I if I feel that way about it. I don't know if I think like victims are not going to be believed now because Jesse Smollett you know allegedly uh, created this hoax of a story. I I feel like people who won't believe victims in the future probably didn't believe victims in the in the first place. I think that some of those people feel though that they have more fuel now sure the the other side of the argument like uh, I, I was talking about this before the show but like the people who didn't believe Christine Blasey Ford were many right but there were also many who did believe her and I think the people who didn't didn't generally believe rape victims in the past or sexual assault victims in the past probably didn't believe her and people who tended to believe victims probably tended to believe her and I think that will still be true I think it will be um, I think the, the, the harm that comes out of this for me is how Jesse Smollett's name becomes a meme and how how that could seemingly impact black gay men going forward um, how it, it how it impacts people on the the left because there's there was this MAGA the the inciting of the MAGA yeah um, and you instantly trope. want to get on your pedestal and make and make sure you're fighting for your side of things absolutely and that but that's what's been so crazy about this whole story is that it instantly became about a commentary on our current political system in America, the right versus the left, the people who are running to 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 get elected as our next president versus all the MAGA country people and everybody, you know, using this story to use in speeches and things like that to, to promote themselves is has made this all, in my opinion, really gross. Yeah. And I understand the need to have these conversations because I know they need to be had, but it has been, okay, here's, I'm going to use this to fuel the, to my fire. And yeah. then on the other side, they're going, we're going to use this to fuel our fire. Well, when this first, when it first started seeming like this case was really taking a turn from the legal perspective, not just from like the, the social media people who were like, uh-uh, that didn't happen. Right. Um, I remember having a conversation with a friend and saying like, oh my goodness, think about the ammunition that has been given 
to Donald Trump himself, right? To Donald Trump Jr., who tweeted about this rather quickly once it started to turn. Um, but to all of the people who think, even think back to the 2016 election when there was like allegedly, they, the right was saying that there were um, uh, protesters, Hillary Clinton supporters that were paid to come protest and, and uh, disrupt right. at, at uh, Trump rallies and things like that. And they love to take that. And that was never even proven to be true, right? But that was something that Donald Trump would stay on the, on the stump speeches. You can always find something to solidify your argument. Absolutely, absolutely. And so um, this coming out of Chicago, which is, a, again, a police department that's been really, really challenging um, that... It, it, and I mean, most recently, like the major case in Chicago was the Laquan McDonald sh- um, case where Laquan McDonald was shot in the street and they you know, said he was doing one thing and the video came out and showed he did another. And then the police officer was never charged in that crime. Right. Um, Van Dyke was the, the officer's last name. And, and so like so those those wounds are open. Those wounds are open and they're consistent. I always say, like, it's not post-traumatic stress. It is present traumatic stress. Right. We absolutely we see these things happen every single day in different places around the country, whether it's a an unarmed black man or woman that is shot in the street, whether it's a hate crime against an LGBTQ person, whether it's a trans person that is being killed, whatever it is, like these things happen all the time. Um, so it's, it's really difficult to see. As we're, as we're talking, we're also watching video of um, the family leaving the courthouse there, all of his family. I didn't see Jesse amongst that group of folks. No, yeah, I haven't um, seen, but it doesn't seem like they are speaking to the public yeah, right they're, now. Yeah, they're definitely not uh, approaching the microphones. They're all just kind of, um, you know, making their way out of the courthouse and making um, Making their way, I guess, to wherever they're going to go next. Does this usually happen this soon, where he he surrenders the night before and he's already appearing in court? Does it is, or do well, they speed things up well, for this? No, I think this is about right. I mean, I think you have because uh, if you remember the the two brothers that were arrested, they had forty eight hours to keep them, or they had to let them go, and they and so they they do it all pretty quickly. Yeah, like the bail them. the bail situation has to happen relatively quickly. I'm not sure when there will be some kind of a preliminary hearing or something when he'll come out and, and plead guilty or not guilty. Um, there, I haven't heard any reporting of him saying anything in court today mm-hmm. um of course there are <laughs> there are helicopters right now that are over the over the the courthouse that are kind of watching the family as they walk out of the building and we've just not heard anything from from him yet um i, I keep saying like what jesse says next will kind of give us the idea of where what the tone of this is going to be over the next couple of weeks and months as seemingly a trial will happen. If he pleads guilty, that obviously really shuts down the conversation, yes, right? Yeah, exactly. But if he pleads not guilty, even with this preponderance of evidence, this will right, continue and continue and it continue. It will continue and continue, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's, but the fact that he turned himself in is what turns my head a little bit because he has been so adamant about the fact that how could anybody challenge him on this you know his story has never changed since day one he's gotten very emotional on on tv and in interviews over the even the thought that anybody could question him about this and then when they brought those guys in and they questioned them and then released them with a completely different opinion of how this all shook out saying we need to talk to jesse smollett immediately and then he he hired a lawyer and turned himself in just seems like (sighs) well that isn't so alarming to me i guess i mean he was charged with a crime like he's gonna have to either respond to it or be on the run technically um because then he becomes you know some kind of a A fugitive there's a warrant out for his arrest right and he lives he lives in chicago part-time i think like five months out of the year something like that was their filming empire um don't quote me on the five months but it's something around there um so there's so him turning himself in when i heard that it, it just made it very real like wow this is this is really going down and then i saw the mugshot and i was like jeez mm. this is this right. is happening but it did happen last night it was a very a relatively uh quick turnaround from when he um turned himself in to when he appeared this morning right or this afternoon there all right well there's still a lot to go through so we are going to take a break i also want to talk about this charge fel- felony for disorderly conduct because i'm looking this up and it makes it, it equates it to things like being drunk in public and disturbing the peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and those just do not an seem charge, yeah. anywhere close to what happened in this case. So we will uh, dive into that and more after this. This is Channel Q. This is Channel Q. I am uh, Allie Johnson, usually joined by Kevin Klein, who is on baby duty today. So I am joined by Jarrett Hill, who's been chatting with me uh I'll show long about this whole Jesse Smollett case. If you look on CNN right now, 
it's just breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. There's all this red everywhere. And uh, so uh, Jared and I actually were just spent the last break talking about cookie dough to lighten things up a Indeed. Bit. And I do have a bit of baby fever, if that counts for anything. Baby to, fever? Yeah. Like you're, you're saying Kevin's on, on baby duty today. I do have like a little bit of baby fever. I keep seeing babies and I'm like, it's so cute. It's oh, so cute. really? It's so cute. Yeah. I still don't have that. Well, like, But I feel like I probably should by now. I'm not in the place of like, I really need one. Like I'm not there. My one of my good friends is probably listening and like they have the cutest baby it's nice to go over and like hang out with the baby hold the baby bounce it in your face yeah. and then hand and then it back. give it away exactly. to somebody so. else like a nanny or another parent <laughs> right right yeah uh, I had a question for you because okay. I I was in a situation a couple weeks ago I want to get your opinion on this so I was I there's this this girl that I've been collaborating with on this project. I, I'm writing a pilot called Butch Pal for the Straight Gal. Oh, nice! And okay. uh, and so I talked to this woman who is uh, one of our investors. Mm-hmm. I'd never met her before. She normally lives in Washington D.C. and she was out visiting. So I said, you know, hey, let's set up a meeting. I'd love to meet you. We we talked on the phone once before, and she was very very quiet. Mm-hmm. Didn't speak a lot, but still a very nice girl. Mm-hmm. So I walk. So we we meet at a coffee shop. I'm with my other friend, Rob, who's involved in the project as well. And I walk up to her and she seemed very kind of closed off, Mm -hmm. not not just in her body language, seemed a little uncomfortable or a little awkward. Okay. so I walked up and my first instinct is to hug this person because she's given us money for our project (laughs) and she's just been so supportive and everything. But there was a little voice inside my head that said, I don't know if she's okay with me just walking up Uh, and hugging her. Yeah. So I said, hey, how you doing? And then I said, do you mind if I hug you? And she said, sure, that's fine. And then we hugged. And then she said, thank you for asking. Oh. And I I was like, okay. So that voice existed in my head for a reason Mm. because she probably doesn't like, you know, that physical contact with strangers because she's a shy girl. But my question is, do you think that stuff like this is going to happen more often because of all of these things that have been coming out in the news about people being, you know, touched or whatever without Absolutely. their consent. And just to say, even just with a person that you've never met before, even a hug, which I would think is a very platonic, friendly thing sure. to do and not of a sexual nature, yeah. but just touching people and invading their space in general without speaking to them about it first. Or is that just crossing the line where you're like, ah, then I, now I don't know what to do. I don't even know if I can shake anyone's hand yeah. or wave or I what. Think, I think all of our generations and up are going to have to like begin to retrain their brains about like the way we socially interact with each other. Because like her saying, like, thank you for asking, said exactly. Exactly what you that were I thinking. Have asked. Like, exactly, and I think like my little sister who's eighteen, and like even like our kids and her like going on forward will probably have more of a reservation about like just walking up and hugging someone because maybe they don't want to do that, and it feels awkward and weird. Like I just wanted to hug you, like calm down, but then you also feel like, but is that okay? Do you right. feel comfortable? Yeah, I feel a little bit. And I'm awkward. not a super touchy feely huggy type of person. Yeah, but with her, I wanted to because yeah. I was just wanted to show appreciation for her support. And that's how we've been trained to do that, right? right. Like that's how I show affection and that I, I care and all that. And like, but some people also feel really uncomfortable with that. And so there's I think some we're people that are a little too huggy. Absolutely, you know like, what I mean. All right, chill out, get yeah. away from me. Okay, you don't need to be. So <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Like, you're not hugging me every time it's Friday. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, there's no point. Kind of like the same way we have like the the, the reach training of like straight men and the way that they engage women right and I mean obviously or even just the the language that they use exactly terms that they use and catcalling and all that kind of stuff like it it takes a bit of a retrain and I think that's we're probably all going to have to do that with hugging and like hand well maybe not handshaking but you know that kind of thing yeah squeezing someone on the shoulder when you walk by or stuff like that like you probably have to do a whole rebrand I just think that that's that's something that's probably going to come out it's going to be more of an issue in the next five to ten years Absolutely. and it's going to be way more a part of the conversation yeah for sure and then there's going to be people going well i'm not going to do anything or talk to anybody because i right. just don't know what to say anymore and that's our first reaction is just to be like well because i don't know what to do i'm just going to step away and not say anything or do anything because there, they're uncomfortable there would be such a cool like sociology like analysis over the next 20 years of how that begins to change up our social interactions and how we feel about one another and we, the fact that we're not touching each other as much as we used to all that kind of stuff yeah like that'll be really interesting to study in 20 years yeah yeah, yeah we'll see how it, well it was a nice palate cleanser thank you for humoring me on that <laughs> well, d- back into the really anyway, dark difficult stuff later back into this yeah. horrible <laughs> allegations okay we're gonna take a break and uh, there's plenty more to come after this this is Channel Q 
Channel Q. I'm Allie Johnson here joining you, usually with Kevin Klein in tow, but he, uh, I think he's burping a baby at this exact moment. So I am, I'm joined by Jared Hill, who is very knowledgeable and uh, helping me cover all of this, this, this really tough story about Jesse Smollett, which has been unfolding since a month ago, yeah. pretty much. I mean, I'm looking at this timeline of when everything started and... A week before he was attacked, January 22nd was when the, oh, on January 18th was when the MAGA letter was allegedly, well, I think, I don't know if that's alleged anymore. I think we know that that yeah. letter was discovered. Um, and so then that, that, was, uh, that was the first instance that we heard about this going on. And then the attack happened on January 29th. Now here we are, uh, uh, almost a month later, Jesse Smollett has been arrested and charged with Disorderly conduct, and the prosecutor, whose name is Risa Lanier, she has given a, a long statement with all kinds Are of... Are we doing Lanier? Lanier? I was saying Lanier. I don't know. I, don't know. I was saying Lanier. Lanier? I kind of like Lanier. <laughs> we'll go with that. All right. I mean, I feel like she would appreciate Lanier. You guys can't see it, but she's also doing a shoulder I when am. she says Lanier. <laughs> La- Lanier. I'm just like. doing a little left shoulder raise. <laughs> uh, so she, I think we have some of her statement, or at least how she started her statement uh, outside the courthouse today. So let's give that a listen. Ibuprofen tablets. The letter also contained a drawing of a stick written letter. The people expect the evidence to show that on Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019, Defendant Smollett received a written letter at the SinSpace Chicago Film Studios, which is the facility on the southwest side of Chicago where the Empire Television Show is filmed. This letter contained written threats directed towards Defendant Smollett and contained a then unknown white powdery substance. The letter also contained cutout letters pieced together which stated, Smollett, Jesse, you will die, black F, and the word MAGA was handwritten on the envelope where the return address typically is located. This powdery substance has since been determined to be crushed ibuprofen tablets. The letter also contained a drawing of a stick figure, which appears to have a rope around the neck and a gun pointed towards it. Law enforcement authorities were contacted and the letter was turned over to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which is currently conducting so forensic analysis of the letter. She's so incredibly detailed in I her... mean, this is just the letter she's talking about. Right, exactly. Already we haven't even gotten to detailed. the attack. Absolutely. She's so, ready. So the we did learn something new there, because I don't think any of us had known about the white powdery substance in the letter. Yeah, which um, is also just, again, another really weird yeah, detail. So like, Why is that even a part of it? So if this is what they say it was, like, there are all of these 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 tropes and things that are like in are decidedly intentionally triggering right so the white powdery substance questions of anthrax maga questions of of the trump administration and and republicans nooses dropping the f-bomb right exactly dropping the f-bomb is homophobic the noose is obviously anti-black um cutting out the letters was just weird (laughs) um but like maybe he had to i mean well seemingly right because you you don't want it to be traceable so i mean it's just i mean if they find the magazine in his house or something with the letters cut out i guess that'd be pretty bad that'd be open open shut case right there but it's difficult the defense has said they are adamant that their client is innocent and they are prepared to fight for his freedom and they what were the words they used an aggressive, an aggressive defense, defense. Yeah. so they are standing sticking to their guns saying that absolutely none of this is founded in anything and we will prove our client innocent there are also a lot of celebrities weighing in on this, which is, of course, triggering. Ooh, girl, uh, Twitter is on fire. It is. Yeah, it is really crazy. I just want to read one of these. Uh, this is something that came out from Ty- Tyler Perry today, which I feel like is really interesting and worth mentioning. Uh-oh. How I wish the disappearance of Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos could get half as much attention as this Jesse Smollett thing. I have personally spoken to Jesse and he is adamant that he is telling the truth. Also, everyone that I know who knows him says he is not the kind of person who would make up such a horrible and awful thing. Yet the evidence seems to state otherwise. I am at a loss for words. To stoke fears and raise racial tensions is wrong and in every situation on all sides yet my prayers are still with him and his family and our nation. Can we please stop the hate? So I think that that's it. Very well worded, especially mm-hmm. for somebody who 
was on his side from the beginning and knows him. And there was another tweet I saw that said everyone should be upset about this left, right and center. It's 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 a horrible thing that we all have to experience and that there's a lot of emotions flying around, of course. And yes, like you said, Twitter is on fire. Uh, Everyone wants to put their two cents into this. But it's really devastating when you hear something like this and you get behind, especially in the LGBT community. And I mean, this is also during Black History Month when it should be, this should be a time that everyone is celebrating and empowering African-American culture and the fact that all this and the stuff with the Virginia governor and all that blackface, it's just so terrible that all of these conversations are happening right now, which should be the opposite of this should be happening. Yeah, this has definitely been the worst uh, Black History Month that I can remember. And like all of of my friends have been joking, like, can we just... Can we just act like this one didn't happen? Because this one was trash. <laughs> right, Can right. we maybe move it to June? You know, like, because it was, it's been one of the worst Black History Months ever, uh, just full of ridiculousness. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, from on being a part of this station, too, mm-hmm. when we first heard about this, the reaction was, we we got to get behind Jesse. We got to make sure that we, we he knows that he has our support, that sure. we're here. You know, he he did a um, an appearance at the Troubadour. I think a lot of people were in attendance for that. And now to have this all unfold is is I mean, like I said, it feels like a betrayal if all of this is true. But um, I like I just from on a very personal level when this happened. My first reaction was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. I can't believe that this still happens. This Mm -hmm. shouldn't be happening. Then when the other details started coming out, I was like, I I, I took a step back and I was not very vocal Mm -hmm. about my opinions because I wanted to see how things were going to play out. But I felt a lot. I felt like I couldn't say that. Mm. I kind of felt like because I'm a part of this community, like I don't have... I need to just be supportive no matter what and just be, sure. yes, 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 this is wrong, this is wrong, we are, we're with you, we're with you. But also there's these questions that I have that I feel like I didn't get, like, I I don't know, I felt yeah. a little uncomfortable asking those questions. So I think as, uh, and I mean, this comes like from the position of being a person in media, right? Like, you also recognize that getting on the microphone and saying like, well, this is weird and that's weird, it starts to also influence the way that people are thinking about it, right? And the questions that they're asking that they might not have been asking before. And so I think there is a responsibility to being um, thoughtful about the words that we use in this space, but it's also like, personally, like, there are things that we'll say off the microphone that we won't say on the microphone, mm-hmm. right? There are conversations that I've had with people that I wouldn't necessarily put on the radio. So I've, there's definitely been a conversation in the last, I would say in the last week with myself and friends that it's been like, well, this is weird, but I still am standing by him and I want to believe him. Well, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Right. But I'm still standing behind. Wow. Did you hear about yikes? Okay. And then today I think has been the most difficult day when, you know, uh, when Risa Lanier, as we're calling her. Lanier, <laughs> do the shoulder. I came out yeah. right. Uh, when she came out with all of these details, these details are incredibly damning, right? And so it's really hard to see, to hear such a detailed account of what happened from like the inception of this idea to, you know, this very day of him, of him turning himself in last night. So it's, it's hard to, to reconcile. Writing out a personal check for $3,500, which was in fact, deposited yeah back up backing up with phone calls and text messages uber rides to the quote-unquote attack scene that he had staged all of those things are what the prosecutor claims that they have so if that's true those evidence we were talking about this a little bit off the air is is kind of black and white like if you have those records you have them and something you just said is 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 really important to me also is like i keep saying to myself if this is true because i I still want to believe him. I do. You still, yeah, there's I, a little voice going, this can't be. Yeah, I still want to believe him. I still want to be able to be in his corner and say like, you know, but, and the other thing that I continue to think is like, say he did make up this whole thing, right? And everything that we heard today from Lisa, Risa Lanier mm-hmm. uh, is true. I'm also wondering like, what is it like to be him today? Like, this has got to be the darkest day. And and if ever you needed the support of your family and friends and the people that are around you, it's going to be right now because it's got to be a really, really difficult day. If if I mean, either way, it's got to be a difficult day. Absolutely. To say, okay, this is my this is my son or this is my brother or whatever. And to have all of those same questions in your mind as well. But to sit but be sitting in a room with him saying, I have to be there for my family 
and support him no matter what. Or the flip side of that is he's told like if if this is all made up, if he's told them like, okay, I did make this up and I need your support, like to have to carry that, to have to carry whatever questions you have, like whatever mm-hmm. the scenario is, there, this is there's no good way for this story to go. I, I feel like I've said that a thousand times, but like there's just no good good outcome for mm-hmm. this. Yeah, keeps getting weirder, keeps getting. I mean, the pathetic is the word that is being used on Twitter and on social media a lot right now, which I, is a rough word to use. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang back from pathetic for yeah. a while, but mm-hmm. I think it's it's. It's it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a break. We're going to get to I want to talk about how uh, the the details. I have a timeline here of how all of this unfolded from beginning to end. And I know that for for me, it, some of these details are really confusing. So I'd like to go over them if sure. you're OK with that, Jared. Absolutely. And uh, we might get some other uh, sound bites here from the press car from the uh, court appearance earlier. So all that and more after this. This is Channel Q. All right. This is Channel Q. Hanging with you today. I'm Allie Johnson, usually joined by my other half. I don't say better or worse half, just other half. He's usually the token straight guy on this show. Kevin Klein, he's not around because he's uh, doing things that bre- a breeder does, which is taking care of his babies. Listen, he chose that lifestyle. He so. did. I wouldn't choose it. Even if I had a choice, I wouldn't choose it. Uh, and I am joined by by Jared Hill today, who has been uh, hanging with me as we break down all of this crazy stuff about Jesse Smollett. Does that make me like your side piece today or something? What does that mean? <laughs> no, you're not it. my side piece. Okay, just wanted to you're be clear. You're my companion. Okay. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to say life partner. I'm just saying show partner. <laughs> For today. For, for a today. couple hours, yeah, right? You're okay. my significant other of the hour. <laughs> uh, so I think we have some other breaking news that just was released on CNN. Jesse Smollett has posted bond and is expected to leave court soon. So you, I mean, this is something you said right at the beginning. Okay, they announced his $100,000 bail. You imagine that he would probably post that pretty quickly and get out of there, which he has. It's about an episode and a half of work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. $65,000 an episode. So I guess it's the opposite of what he wanted, which was, I mean, if all this is true, it says that he orchestrated this attack because he was upset about his current salary, which was $65,000 per episode. And if this is true, that was not enough. And he staged this attack as a publicity stunt in order to gain attention and possibly get a uh, raise over that. And they are also saying that... Yes, this attack this attack was staged, and that he coordinated with these guys to uh, to stage the attack. But that the cuts and bruises that he had on his body were all self inflicted. Yeah, that was that was part of the interesting part because they were saying like he had been attacked. The attack only lasted about forty five seconds, and then that he may have had self inflicted wounds as well, which is just. It, it, it just makes the whole thing a little bit worse, I guess, mm. um, as if it needed to be made worse. Um, and and the play-by-play that the the prosecutor from Cook County laid out just re- really made it difficult to imagine how he's telling the truth and how he can defend himself in court um, and, you know, plead not guilty and, and continue to have and go through like what he said happened. So let's break this all down. There's a timeline here of how this all shook out from the very beginning. I know I need to go over it for myself because this there's so many details that get it gets very confusing. And like we said, this story has taken so many twists and turns. So January 22nd, here's where we begin. The week before Jesse said he was attacked in, in uh, Streeterville, Smollett reported receiving an envelope addressed to him at Production Studios on Chicago's West Side. The envelope was postmarked. Um, in southwest suburban Bedford Park four days earlier, January 18th. Okay, the letters MAGA were written on it in red ink and the, in the return address section of the envelope, uh, oh, in the return address section of the envelope, and then it also said, you will die black expletive. There was also a white powder in the envelope, which was later determined to be crushed pain reliever such as Tylenol or ibuprofen. Yeah, the prosecutor came out and said it was crushed ibuprofen uh, in her super detailed account. So. Mm. So then we move on to January 29th. Um, if you also, if you want to read this, there's like a, a really, really excellent detailed account on CNN.com that kind of goes through the, the timeline of all the things that happened. It says on January 29th that Smollett reported that he'd been attacked by two men while out getting food from a Subway sandwich store around 2 a.m. He then uh, said that he was walking back to his apartment uh, on the 300 block of the North Water Street, uh, East North Water Street, um, when two men walked up yelling uh, racial and homophobic slurs and declaring that this is MAGA country 
They hit him and wrapped a noose around his neck. I also read that he was on the phone with his manager during this. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why they wanted to get his phone records, because they wanted to confirm that he was indeed on the phone. And I believe the manager even said, yeah, I was on the phone with him and I heard this happen. I, so, I, I don't know if it was... Uh, I, I've heard him uh, tell the story on Good Morning America, and then we've also heard reporting about it. So Frank Gatson was one of the names that came out. Frank Gatson is, is known for being a creative director and a choreographer, uh, most famously working with Beyonce and also with Jesse Smollett. Um, and so he said that he was with Frank um, prior to this, so I'm not sure if he meant he was on the phone with Frank when this happened or if it was uh, it. immediately after that. But yeah. yeah. All right, so then the following day, the Chicago police... They start reporting that they have at least a dozen detectives working on this thing and reviewing hundreds of hours of surveillance camera footage because where the, the, the attack happened was supposedly an area that was heavily surveilled. And so they were then saying, we're, we're not saying that the guy's lying, but we're saying we have, we've gone through all this evidence or this footage and we have not found anything yet. But they did find two people walking, two men walking down the street near where the area, near where the attack happened between 1.30 and 1.45 a.m. So. Yeah, I... This part is the interesting part because uh, in the breakdown that uh, Lanier or Lanier gave, she said that, you know, that the attack only lasted for the 45 seconds. And I'm, uh, again, assuming that the camera moves back and forth. And in the time that the attack happened, the camera was not pointed in his direction. Right. And they also I think the prosecutor also indicated that Jesse pointed out those cameras yeah. to say, hey, this is where the camera is going to be. Mm-hmm. Make sure that this Make is sure being captured. And it was just his luck that it turned around the other direction and not capture this. Right. Which uh, I am. It's an interesting thing seeing how that would have played out if it had been. What What would be even more interesting is if there's footage of him with them down there, right? Right. Like, I mean, that would seemingly come out if that footage still existed. Uh, January 31st, Donald Trump told White House reporters that he saw the story in the evening, the evening prior, um, and that it, quote, doesn't get worse as far as I'm concerned. That was Donald Trump's comment as he had been asked about, you know, if he'd heard about it and, you know, also mm-hmm. referencing the, the MAGA country language. Also, despite the support of celebrities and politicians, skepticism continued to grow on social media. Smollett's family issues a statement calling the attack a racial and homophobic hate crime. The family says that he has told the police everything that he knew and his story has never changed, disputing assertions on social media that he had been less than cooperative and had changed his story. All right. So then that continued the following day. Smollett issued another statement saying, I'm OK. Thank you for your support. I am working with authorities. I've been 100 percent factual and consistent on every single level. Then the next day was the concert. The next day was the concert when he came back here to Los Angeles and uh, he gave the concert in West Hollywood at the Troubadour. It was his first time that we had seen him since his attack. He said that I had to be here. He said, quote, I had to be here tonight. Y'all, I can't let them win. Uh, he went on um, f- visibly fighting tears to say, I have so many words in my heart. The most important thing I have to say is thank you so much and that I'm OK. I'm not fully healed yet, but I'm going to. Um, I'm assuming that was I'm going to be and I'm going to stand strong with y'all. Smollett also said that he had to play the show because, quote, he couldn't let his attackers win. Right. So it's just insane reading over all those details now, knowing what we know and seeing all the evidence that the prosecution now has uh, that incriminates him. And the fact that if this is all true and they have all that evidence, he is saying all of this to people and playing the victim when he is in fact not a victim right then a couple let's see 10 days later february 12th this is when they start going where are your phone records they want to know uh, detectives requested as part of their investigation some of his phone records to corroborate his story because smollett had said his music manager was on the phone with him at the time of the attack and can corroborate the story but the police say that when they received the phone records they were heavily redacted files that were not sufficient and my initial thought when I heard that was, well, maybe there are some things that he that are not public knowledge yet. Maybe another project he's working on or something like that. Smollett said that the information was redacted to protect the privacy of contacts and people that were not relevant to the attack, which if that's true, I get that. Which would be totally believable for me as well. Yeah. I'm, I mean, you're a celebrity. You 
seemingly have celebrity friends. You're working on other projects. Right. He said he had music and photos. If you have and, a phone call from somebody from Netflix or something, absolutely, or like some director, and you're like, oh, well, maybe they're running, working on a project together or whatever. Fox doesn't need to know that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so sure. then you only need to turn off over things that are relevant. I, I get that part. Then on February 14th, Valentine's Day, Smala gives a national television interview on Good Morning America, sitting across from Robin Roberts. Um, hoping that he could, you know, kind of put those doubts to rest. He said, quote, you do such a disservice when you lie about things like this. Hear that. Um, he went on to say, I've heard that it was a date gone bad, which I so resent that narrative. Um, he went on to say, I'm going to go out and get, I told myself I was going to go out and get a tuna sandwich and a salad to meet somebody. Um, that's ridiculous. And it's offensive. Mm. Um, so he's, further implementing the fact that he is innocent and that anybody who is suggesting otherwise should be ashamed of themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Chicago police went on to announce hours later that detectives were interviewing two, quote, persons of interest and, quote, uh, captured on video. A law enforcement source said the two men, brothers in their 20s, were brought in for questioning on Wednesday night from the Chicago's uh, O'Hare International Airport after arriving from Nigeria. One of them worked as an extra on Empire, according to that source. Okay. So then you think, okay, if this is true, these two guys worked on Empire, maybe they came across him during that, maybe they have some kind of a, a gripe with him, and they've decided to, to attack him and, and you know harass him. Yeah, that was actually one of the moments, though, that was really difficult for me. Um, I, I had a hard time getting there, even though I think that's a fair, a fair assessment. Um, that was a moment that I was like, Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's that's kind of hard. Um I'll, all right. I still want to believe you. I you know, it was like trying to put those pieces together, but like hearing that they had worked on Empire made me feel a little uneasy. Hmm. Um kind of like you were saying you didn't want to say that out loud, but it definitely did feel like odd. So then the following day, February 15th, they get these guys in custody, these two persons of interest. They didn't charge them with anything yet. Uh, but they did search their house, I believe, right? They searched their house and they mm -hmm. found bleach in the house, which I was like, okay, who doesn't have who bleach, doesn't have in, bleach their in their house? house right? All right, yeah, you find bleach and it's like, yeah, I, I have bleach too. I think a lot of people do. Anyway, so they, uh, they got them in custody, they questioned them. Then 12 hours later, they released them, saying that they were no longer considered suspects. It was pretty quick. Due to the evidence, quote, due to the evidence as a result of today's interrogations, the, the individuals questioned by the police in the Empire case have now been released without charging and detectives have additional investigative work to complete. So correcting the record there, because the police chief, um, excuse me, this police superintendent that came out earlier today, he said that they had them in custody for their 48 hours and that in the 47th hour uh, is when the, the case started to turn. So uh, I, I, I think that was one of the things that we kind of learned um, a little later, bit later, later today. Later on, um, that that kind of because uh, everything again was so incredibly detailed. He said that in that last hour is when they kind of finally broke. Mm. Um, then on February sixteenth, a few law a law enforcement uh, source tells the Chicago police. Um, I'm sorry, says that the Chicago police are now investigating whether Smollett paid the two brothers to stage an attack following up on information provided by the two while they were in custody. Investigators also have been given new details about the rope that Smollett said was made into a noose and placed around his neck when he, when he walked toward his apartment. Um, detectives had also been searching the area retailer to find the source of the rope, but the new information allowed them to narrow their search and find where it was sold. Um, the attorney for the brothers, uh, Gloria Schmidt, was asked whether Smollett set up the attack. She said, there's still a lot of moving parts to this. I'm not part of Jesse's defense. She said, I'm not part of what's going on with him. I can just tell you that my guys are innocent of the charge and they are going home. Wow. And if you look at the timeline here, it's like every single day there is a new breaking. Right. <laughs> like, because it was quiet this. for a while. Yeah, it was like, all right, 10 days go by. Then it's like the 12th, the 14th, the 15th, the 16th. Well, an important part of that is the, the two brothers were out of town for an extended period, right? right so so they while they were back. gone, there were all of these warrants that were kind of being built up and they were, you know, Got they were uh, they were arrested mm -hmm. at the airport when they returned. So as soon as they got back, things started moving pretty quickly. Got quick it. Way. So so yeah. So then now things really start unfolding quickly. So February sixteenth, this is the following day. Law enforcement is now investigating whether Smollett had paid the two brothers to stage an attack. So obviously, the police got a lot of information from these two, and now completely were turning their heads in the other direction and looking back in Jesse Smollett's direction. Investigators have also been given new details about the rope that Smollett said that was made into a noose and placed around his neck. Oh, we already did all this. Okay, great. 
So now Fox says... Uh, in the hours before Fox's statement, the two brothers who had been under arrest appeared at the criminal courthouse to talk to prosecutors and detectives. They and their attorney were seen near the grand jury rooms. Okay, so now all of that. Now they're making a public uh, statement. Yeah, and there was also conflicting reports about whether or not there had been a grand jury at that time, Got or if there was a it. meeting okay. happening in a grand jury room, which you know was kind of conflicting um, reports. Then on February 20th, Smollett was charged with disorderly conduct for allegedly filing a false re- police report about the attack. The Cook County State Attorney's Office said, um, w- is where that information came from. Hours earlier, the Chicago Police Department had announced that Smollett, sorry, I'm so like, I, I need to eat something. And my mouth is like watering as I think about food. <laughs> Do you food. want some water? I, I'm, I'm drinking water, like but my mouth is like, is there food? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> no, no uh, one eats here. <laughs> uh, hours earlier, the Chicago Police Department announced that Smollett uh, was officially classified as a suspect in a criminal investigation for filing a false report, um, which would be a felony. The new details emerged about why Fox had recused herself. In a statement, one of her aides uh, said that Cook County's state attorney quote, had conversations with the family member of Jesse Smollett about the incident after the initial report of the attack and uh, facilitated a connection to the Chicago Police Department who were investigating the incident. All right. And then finally, we reach today, which is Smollett surrendering to Chicago police, appearing in court. $100,000 bail was set. He has since posted that bail and he is leaving the courthouse. His family has not, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, has not issued any kind of statement and uh, now all of these details on the prosecution's case have been released. Uh, the pro- prosecutor, Risa Lanier. <laughs> Lanier. Lanier. I'm pretty sure it's Lanier, but I'm going to say it's Lanier. La- <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm it's sticking Lanier. with that. I'm pretty sure it's just Lanier. <laughs> uh, so anyway, there are a lot of details, and we, we do have some of that specific audio to go through with all of the evidence that she claims she has uh, to to plead for their side of the case, which is that Jesse did orchestrate this attack for publicity and for a salary raise. So we're going to dig deep into that after this. Channel Q. Channel Q, welcome back. Allie Johnson here hanging with you today. And uh, Kevin Klein not in on baby duty, but I've been, I mean, I don't want to say I've been having a blast because we've been talking about some very serious stuff here, but it's been really nice hanging with you, Jarrett. Thank and you so much. It's been great. Yeah, it's been, uh, I mean, if you're going to go through all of these things and unpack all of this, you got to do it with somebody who is knowledgeable and friendly and and you are all of those things. Well, so thank you thank very much. You. And I, you're an award-winning journalist. Well, you know, you know, <laughs> you know. I, I don't like wear it on a t-shirt or something. <laughs> well, I who think likes you that should. guy? I, right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, we could end the show by uh, going to a website that I go to whenever I'm feeling a little low, and okay. it's called the Good News Network. Ooh. I'm just going to read you some of these headlines. Yes, and please. And then we can go through one that we really like. Oh, that sounds refreshing. Okay, ready? Let's do it. A man who loves cats transforms his home into a feline playland. Oh, and you can go, too, for is charity. He, is he a lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great game. Is he a lesbian? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just forgot to add whoa in front of man. <laughs> I feel very confused. Uh, this guy's home is in Santa Barbara, and he uh, discovered an obsession for adopting cats, and now he has never stopped, I guess. Does it say that he's single? Because mm. I would imagine he's he's not uh, in a relationship. I think that that is implied okay. in all right. this. What else you got? Uh, all right, let's see. How... <laughs> How acupuncture may ease the symptoms of menopause. And then there's a picture of this lady with wind in her hair. Oh. And she's really happy about the fact that... She looks like she's having the time of her life in the wind. (laughs) She looks like her hot flashes are not nearly as bad as they would have been otherwise. (laughs) This makes me think of my mom, who will often tell me, oh, it's so hot in here. And I'll tell her, no, 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 no. You're very hot. It is not hot in here. And then I have to like flee the room really quickly. My grandmother was like that for a while, but also her apartment, her, her, her apartment, her house was always smoldering hot. Oh I was God. always like, why do you do this like, then to open yourself? a window. She's like, it's so hot in here. We're like, yes, I know. <laughs> why? The thermostat's on 86. Like, what is Stop happening? It. All right. And then finally, Clever Girl Scout business is booming. Uh, Clever Girl's Girl Scout business is booming after she launches Jason Momoa Samoa's. Oh my God. Do they have a link? Like, have, well, I actually think that this girl, I feel like a Girl Scouts have a lot of pressure to perform 
and sell yeah. millions of cookies every year. Which yeah. I was a brownie for a while, yeah. and I liked doing all of the stuff that the boys did. Cub Scout, Boy Scout. Oh, here. really? Yeah. See, I would have. I'm really happy that girls can join Boy Scouts now yeah. because if they want to, they want to do stuff like this and sell cookies and do those things. That's great. I wanted to do all the stuff that the boys were doing, so it's nice that they give girls that opportunity too. I, I we sold popcorn, which I always thought was whack, and the Girl Scouts were selling the cookies. <laughs> popcorn. We sold like popcorn tins with like different flavored popcorn. Oh was whack. yeah, I remember but, those. But the Girl Scout cookies have always been like the thing, right? Like, I mean, come on. But being a Boy Scout was really fun. I loved like camping and yeah. All that kind once of stuff, we yeah. once our camping trip ended, they were like, now we're just gonna get a knitting patch. I was like, <laughs> I'm gone. See you later. Anyway, so here's the picture. It's uh, some girl basically took a really sexy picture of Jason uh, Jason Momoa and put it on the Samoas, which also Samoas probably the least popular cookie. I would still be buying a case though. <laughs> I'd want one in every room of the house. Just to be surrounded on all sides by Jason Jeez, Momoa. And because he doesn't have like the crazy beard in that photo. No, so. this is actually pretty trim for him, I think. Exactly, because yeah. when the beard gets too crazy is when Jason Momoa can be Jason Nomoa. <laughs> oh my God, that was brilliant. <laughs> That happened spontaneously, and it was genius. And it was recorded for all to hear. You got to get that on a t-shirt. Jason Nomoa? Oh my gosh, I'm so impressed with me right now. All right. That is a perfect way to end this. Thank you, uh, Jarrett, for hanging. Jarrett Nomoa, yes. No, Jarrett will return, I'm sure, at some point. That was not nearly as clever. But um, thank you for joining us, and I'm sure we'll see you again real soon. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure. And uh, thank you to Kevin for uh, for lending me the seat for this. Yes, yes, I'm sure he's happy to oblige. Uh, I'm sure a baby's throwing up on him right now. He's living, <laughs> living his best life. All right, thanks a lot, and uh, more coming, more lovely programming on Channel Q, uh, and I think some music, right? Nice music. Nice, just, just sit back and listen to music right now. All right, just take some time for yourself. Do something you enjoy. Get a cookie. All right, bye bye. Channel Q.